from The Sword and the Trowel, August 1883, How to Attract a Congregation, an address by C.H. Spurgeon to his students. Newspapers are not always edited by Solomons, or if they are, the father is frequently out of the way, and his son Rehoboam manages the business. Silly seasons occur with journals as well as with other terrestrial concerns. Among the absurd articles which have appeared lately, I noticed one which gravely asserted that in our colleges young ministers are taught everything but their main business, that main business being the art of attracting a congregation. Is not that a remarkably wise remark? Surely a Daniel has at last come to judgment. Not taught how to attract a congregation. What a grievous omission! Surely a subscription should be commended and a chair founded for this neglected department of practical theology. Who shall occupy the aforesaid chair? Let us hope it will be a good armchair, well made and daintily stuffed, for the benefit of the professor who is to sit in it. But what will he do in return for his endowment? What textbook will he use? Into what divisions will he apportion his scientific observations? I am lost in conjecture. Assuredly, I am not a candidate for the proposed office. It might not be easy to nominate a professor unless we propose to confer the office upon the genius who first started the idea. In the absence of a seconder, our proposal falls to the ground, and the dignity is open to competition. What little I have to say will run in the unscientific direction. It is important that people should be attracted to hear the gospel, but each man must go his own way to work about it. His taste, moral and spiritual, his sense of the decent and becoming, and his own personal position and character must suggest to his zeal how far it should go and in what ways it should work. There are things legitimate and things questionable, and herein we must be a law unto ourselves. To lay down arbitrary rules and give information, uniform directions would be ridiculous, and even to make the attracting of crowds an object would be a wretched business, unworthy of a Christian minister. One thing, however, I may assert on my own behalf in dealing with this business, I cannot be suspected of over-delicacy or narrowness as to methods of winning the popular ear. Honestly, I am prepared to go a long way myself and to let others go a good deal further. I am so anxious that men should hear the gospel and be saved that I would rather commend than censure the originalities and eccentricities of sincere soul winners. Mr. Whitfield once said of his own times, we must be disorderly or useless. In that case, I for one should have no hesitation as to which to choose. Rampant disorder is preferable to decorous perdition. I should be false to my own life and to my most cherished convictions if this were not true of me. I think if I cry out against any form of procedures, there must really be a cause. So far as I know my own heart, I am prepared to rejoice in the success of any man living who sincerely serves the cause of Christ, and I am ready to put up with a world of things which I could not myself endorse, and yet at this time I must speak, even if I be charged with bitterness. Evils past bearing are multiplying upon us. If you want to know how to distract a congregation, 
you have only to go to the great drum-thumping establishments and hear for yourself how noise can be glorified. Outside of those emporiums, instruments of brass are in full blast, with their still small voices proclaiming peace on earth, goodwill toward men. To put it more plainly, the age of the tin kettle and the banjo has arrived, and with these weapons of our warfare the strongholds of evil are to be thrown down. In certain districts the Sabbath is made hideous, the streets are rendered dangerous, and quiet is banished in the name of the Lord Jesus, and with the view of attracting the masses to him. The design is admirable, the method intolerable. Among our natural rights and liberties there is one which is in some danger in these turbulent days, and that is the right of occasionally being free from the banging of drums and the blaring of trumpets in the open streets. A contemporary has been asked, Can a man belong to a brass band and be a Christian? It replies, We see mo no impediment in the way. But if he is a member of a brass band and is given to practicing on his cornet or trombone at home, it is an impossibility for the man next door to be a Christian. This verdict is one in which I heartily coincide. Only I extend it a little further and include the equal difficulty of displaying a Christian temper when salvation bands go banging through the streets day after day. A tremendous noise is one way of attracting a congregation, but whether or not it is one which Jesus and his apostles would have followed, I leave to be decided by those best able to judge. The other day we read in an official report, Brass band better than ever. Thirteen blowing <laughs> salvation through their instruments. If this be so, then let them blow till all is blue. It is not for us to rail at sounding brass, if it has, has indeed become a channel of salvation. Blow by all means. If any of you judge that this is your high calling, pursue it ardently. And if outraged humanity should pelt you with mud and rotten eggs, do not reckon that a strange thing has happened to you. If you should also create about twice as much blasphemy as religious feeling, do not be surprised. If your course of action should bring ridicule on all religion, and educate the mob in the art of rioting, which they may use by and by with unexpected results, do not marvel. If you conceive this to be your line of usefulness, listen to no advice. Reckon all who differ from you as your enemies. Become martyrs and go forward like good soldiers, so long as leather and brass hold out. Only be prepared for contingencies. Suppose the big drum and the tambourine should cease to charm. What next? What else is to be done? Will you stand on your head? Hornpipes have been tried. Will you try the tightrope? I cannot suggest to you a novelty, since you have already heard of uh, Brummagem bruises, devil dodgers, converted clog dancers, etc. No, I cannot continue the list, for it must include several profane titles, if it become at all complete. And above all, and worst of all, it must needs contain those blasphemous insults to the eternal and incommunicable name which arise out of the desecration of the word hallelujah. It only occurs to me to suggest the question, might it not be possible to be a little less vulgar and to create variety without extreme exertion? 
It might be a novelty to some to conduct a meeting in which there would be no slang. Let it be attempted. A second-class order of attraction has been tried by certain brethren in the way of advertising, but I think the professor of attractive science will hardly commend it to you. Against causing services to be publicly known in a reputable manner, no sane person can raise an objection. But we do object to employing the language of puffery. The method would seem to have originated with flash drapers and others, whose goods are made to sell. It consists in little puffs instead of big blasts. Odd ways of making yourself known are supposed to be effectual. One advertises on small tissue bills. Do you like sugar? Then hear the Reverend T. Offy. Another thus emblazons himself. Have you heard Richard Tones? Repeated seven, ten times on separate lines, and followed next week by the advice, Go early if you wish to hear Richard Tones. This can be supported by Over the Garden Wall. There is no need to attempt this feat in order to hear Richard Tones if you are at the chapel by six o'clock. This style of proceeding has its admirers, but it does not add much to this style of uh, to, to the influence exercised by Mr. Tones over judicious minds. He will probably be left in the limbo of quacks by those who give so much as a passing thought to him. Surely this is not our Lord's way of going to work. His condescension stooped to the lowest deed of self-denying love, and yet there was always a majestic propriety about him. Cheap jack advertising is altogether out of harmony with the grand truths and the glorious spirit of the gospel. I am not censuring legitimate publication, but the little dodges of it abjure them. The ritualistic clergy, with far greater taste, have gone in for pretty things and have drawn crowds together by a combination of costume, flowers, paint, perfumery and music. To say the least, this is a more ancient and reputable method than those which have already been mentioned. In some quarters its attractions have lasted for a considerable period after a fashion, but as a special draw, it by no means is a general success. When the people have seen the pretty things, a few times they grow weary of the show. Look at Catholic countries where the business is done to perfection, and you will see a few women charmed with the gaudy altars, but in the great towns the overwhelming proportion of the men are alienated from the very semblance of religion. A silly desire to imitate these fineries may arise among our weaker brethren, but it may as well be dismissed. I could give many valid reasons, but one may well suffice. We are not able to the business properly, even if it were a fit thing to be attempted. Our dissenting Gothic is an utter abomination to all architectural taste. Our organs are usually of the baser sort, and if a fine service is attempted, it is a ridiculous travesty. Why will men pine to do that which they can never do well? And the more especially when, if they succeeded to perfection, the thing would not be worth half a penny. With the noblest architecture, the best music, and the most gorgeous scenic apparatus, the people are not to be drawn to the worship of God. The question is, if they were drawn, would the performance be the worship of God after all? 
Would it not be as well for them to see millinery and hear music and smell incense in the usual depots for such luxuries? We think it would be far better, for then there would not be such a mix-up of things secular and sacred and such a mistaking of sensuous emotion for spiritual worship. An American friend has admirably sketched the method too often followed in the United States with their quartets of operatic performers. I sincerely wish we had nothing in Great Britain to correspond therewith. We have the beginnings and may soon have the full-blown mischief. Congregational singing is snuffed out to make room for musical display. The church silences the saints to listen to the, pre to the players. How often professional performance of this kind can attract a congregation, I know not. But I suppose it does, or our friends would not go in for it. The writer we allude to says this. Not long ago we went to a church in the city of, well, no matter where. There had recently occurred in our personal experience some things to gladden us, and others to give us anxiety, and we felt unusually disposed to seek the relief of prayer and praise in public worship. We hoped that the minister would be able to express our desires better than we could, and that we might be able to join in some hymns of thanksgiving set to familiar tunes. Our repertoire is not large. We had been sitting in the richly upholstered pew and staring at the painted windows, but a few moments, when the organ suddenly hushed, and in a distant corner of the church four fashionably dressed ladies and gentlemen arose to sang, and this is what they sang. God is a spirit, God is a spirit, and they that worship him, and they that worship him, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And they repeated this, and repeated this, for the Father seeketh such, for the Father seeketh such, and it was using tenors, and loudness, and softness, and waxing louder, and they were just repeating it again and again, in bass, in alto, and so on, as the concluding cadences softly died away among the vacant pews, like the still small voice among the cliffs of Sinai, we could not help wondering whether those much-tortured words had any meaning, and if so, whether that meaning had any application to the performance just ended. What is worship in spirit and in truth? Those of us who are of the conservative order are not carried off our feet by the amazing success of any sensuous methods of attraction which we have seen in operation up to the present. To us they appear to have been complete failures. Like thorns under a pot, they have crackled loudly for the moment and have blazed most furiously, but they have soon ended in dismal smoke and ultimate potash. We are still surrounded by those who cry, Lo here and lo here! and certain of the feebler sort assure that we do everything wrong because we do not lose our heads and dance to every new tune. But we are not at all disturbed, for we have now seen so many wonderful devices blaze out and explode that it will take a good deal in the way of fireworks to astonish us. A former age was for a while astounded by Dr. Catafelto and his black cats, but the amazement fell off, and soon the populace saw... Dr. Catafalto, with his hair on end, at his own wonders, wondering for his bread. Poverty is the ultimate issue in most cases. The bladder is blown till it bursts, the cord is strained till it snaps. Places of worship are advertised 
till they are abhorred, and sensations are multiplied till the people grow sick of the whole concern. Yet we cannot endure to see empty pews, and we cannot hope to do good by our preaching to those who will not listen to us. Are there no other modes of gathering the people to our places of worship? Must we either become voices in the wilderness or else learn the arts of the showman and the advertiser? We have hitherto gloried in the cross and conceived that the gospel alone would win the day. Are we now to change our tactics and go down to Egypt for help? I think not. I believe that the best, surest and most permanent way to fill a place of worship is to preach the gospel and to preach it in a natural, simple, interesting, earnest way. The gospel itself has a singularly fascinating power about it, and unless impeded by an unworthy delivery, or by some other great evil, it will win its own way. It certainly did so at the first, and what is to hinder it now? Like the angels it flew upon its own wings, like the dew it tarried not for man, neither waited for the sons of men. The Lord gave the word, great was the company of them that published it. Their line went forth throughout all the world, and the nations heard the glad tidings from heaven. The gospel has a secret charm about it, which secures a hearing. It casts its good spell over human ears, and they must hearken. It is God's own word to men. It is precisely what human necessities require. It commends itself to man's conscience, and sent home by the Holy Spirit, it wakes an echo in every heart. In every age, the faithful preaching of the good news has brought forth hosts of men to hear it, made willing in the day of God's power. I shall need a vast amount of evidence before I shall come to the conclusion that its old power is gone. My own experience does not drive me to such a belief, but leads me in the opposite direction. Thirty years of crowded houses leave me confident of the attractions of divine truth. I see nothing as yet to make me doubt its efficiency for its own propagation. Shorn of its graciousness, robbed of its certainty, spoiled of its peculiarities, the sacred word may become unattractive, but decked in the glories of free and sovereign grace, wearing the crown royal of the covenant and the purple of the atonement, the gospel, like a queen, is still glorious for beauty, supreme over hearts and minds. Published in all its fullness with a clear statement of its efficacy and immutability, it is still the most acceptable news that ever reached the ears of mortals. You shall not, in my most despondent moments, convince me that our Lord was mistaken when he said, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. This being settled, be careful of the manner of your proclaiming the gospel. Do declare it in a natural style. Why should a truthful gospel be so frequently preached in a false and artificial manner? I know a brother who undoubtedly preaches the gospel, but one would suppose that he was originally ordained to wear a black cap and to pronounce sentence on the condemned. Do you wonder that he is not followed? Another bawls at the beginning of his sermon and raves towards the close, and friends proclaim that he gives them the headache. Can you not see that he is himself to blame for his thin congregation? A third, a pronounced nasal twang, and somehow people do not enjoy the good news when it savours too much of the nose. 
Another friend is earnest and good, but he is supernaturally monotonous. I suppose that spiritual men take no notice of monotony, but I'm sure that carnal men do, and they carefully get out of the way of Mr. Dronish. Certain preachers were far afield when the melodious voices were being distributed, yet even these would do better if they used their own natural speech and did not affect a holy tone. I have noticed that if a bad-voiced brother talks to his friend, he does so in the same tone as that in which he preaches and prays, and I am sure that it will be wise in that brother to keep to the tone of his usual conversation. People will bear that if they see it to be natural. Let him use his own natural speech. But they will make no excuse for assumed voices, whines and roars. Some brethren might improve their voices by learning to sing, and in any case they ought to do their best to speak well. I do not urge this as a mode of attracting people, but as the removal of a hindrance, which in many cases acts most seriously against collecting a congregation. I believe that the great means of gathering and holding a people is to say something worth their hearing. Sensible persons will be much more affected by truth than tone, and I fancy that tone itself will be improved by the fact of having a valuable message to communicate. At any rate, speak like men and not like mimics, and as such as in you lies, avoid driving people away by unpleasant mannerisms. Then we must take care that we preach the gospel simply. This seems an easy thing, but it is harder than it looks. I could tell you of ministers within my knowledge who could not be understood by anybody, except by those technically educated. It would cost them a supreme effort to translate their language into market English. How can they expect ordinary people to listen to them? They have a predilection for long sentences, scholarly phrases, hard words, and even new words. Do not, brethren, if you can help it, be obscure. And do recollect that what is plain as a pikestaff to us in the classroom may be dim and unintelligible to nine-tenths of our hearers. The language of studious, bookish people is far out of reach of labourers and artisans, and I feel convinced that many of the terms which we commonly use in our theological discussions are no more understood by the multitude than their equivalents in Latin. Crumble down the bread when you serve it to the children. Break the loaves and fishes for the multitude. The common people like to hear that which their minds can grasp, but they shun the jargon of the schools. Labour also to preach the gospel interestingly, and therefore illustrate it abundantly. Do not mind wise men objecting that you tell anecdotes. There is no sin in that habit. Put in plenty of good similes, metaphors, and illustrations, and if the learned find fault with you for doing it, remind them of whom it is said, without a parable spake he not unto them. Your Lord and Master constantly said the kingdom of heaven is like this, and like that, and herein he is your example as teachers of the multitude. It should be a joy to your hearers to listen to a sermon from you, a pleasure and by no means an ordeal, in some cases it is by no means a delight, but an affliction to hear a sermon. The three reasons which a good woman presented for objecting to a preacher were striking ones. She said that in the first place he read his sermon, in the second he did not read it well, 
and in the third place it was not worth reading. Did you ever notice the secondary definition of a preacher which was given by Walker? It runs thus, one who is apt to harangue tediously in discourse. Never come under the lash of that definition. Gain the attention, fix it, rivet it, fascinate it, centre your whole mind upon the mastering of other minds with your subject. Do at least attempt the penning of all the flock within the hurdles of your sermon. Feed the sheep, feed the lambs, make yourself understood by children, for if you are an interesting preacher to children, you are an interesting preacher to everybody. I am certain that the man whom children delight to hear will not fail with grown-up people. Say, as a certain grand old preacher used to do, here is a little bit for the children. Their parents will recollect that bit better than anything else, and the probability is that they will profit most by it. Do avoid dullness. A living gospel must not be preached in a dead fashion. With a theme so vital, with a Bible so boundless, with a wealth of illustration all around us, with daily experience so varied, we ought to be as fresh in our discoursings as the trees by the river of life, which yield their fruit every month. Oh, for grace to keep our own heart lively, and then our preaching will sparkle and glow. Sometimes the sermon is dull because the preacher has not done his best to gather things new and old. And at other times, because he has not waited upon the Lord in prayer, and has not drawn upon the fresh springs which are found only in the eternal hills, work hard at your sermons, that it may be easy to preach them. Fill them with good matter, that it may be pleasant to hear them. And pray the Holy Spirit to anoint them with fresh oil, for so they will never be barren or unprofitable. After all, if you put these things together, I believe that the quality which fills the house is real earnestness. Nothing attracts all eyes like fire. Flame with zeal and you will soon be known. Whether he uses copious illustration or not, if a man is in downright earnest, he will win attention and secure an audience. Do you wonder if some chapels are almost empty? Would you go yourselves to hear certain trifling individuals whom I will not mention? Would it answer any man's purpose to go far to hear men who do not themselves feel sure that what they preach is true? Would some of you go far to hear yourselves preach? Give an honest answer in the quiet of your own thoughts. I dare say, my brother, you have as good an opinion of yourself as other people have of you. And if it would not be worth your while to go and hear yourself preach, perhaps it is not worth the people's while to do so. If so... Make yourself more worthy of an audience, and an audience will come. Exhibitions of utter dullness are so frequent in the pulpit that it is no wonder that men do not succeed. I could relate cases of ministerial folly which I should have regarded as incredible if they had only been reported to me, but they have come under my own notice. It is a miracle that the people put up with such sheer stupidity as I have observed here and there. It would appear that some have taken leave of their common sense. A brother well known to me had recently before him a small congregation of poor working people and nothing to do but to instruct them. One would have thought that he could have talked to them in a warm-hearted brotherly way, but no, he must needs read them a regular sermon with the orthodox three heads. He did this as coolly as if they had all been seasoned Christians, inured to prosiness, 
and of course he did not see those people again. His sermon might just as well have been in Sanskrit. What could ail the brother? I feel he is a hopeless dolt. A live coal from off the altar might have loosed his tongue and made him burn his way into those waiting hearts. But I'm afraid live coals are not in his line of things. Downright earnestness, zeal at blood heat energy at its utmost. These are necessary, and as a rule, there will neither be success without them nor defeat with them. The gospel preached in a red-hot style, will find a way for itself, whatever may oppose it. Try it and see.